Authentic Life with Josiah Ball. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Your Authentic Life podcast. We are now in June, and I, you know... I couldn't think of a better person to have on my podcast than one that I've name dropped multiple times in this season uh, of the Authentic You podcast. And that is my dear friend, Ian Eppard, who we went to college together. We uh, just have been doing life together for the past 11 years, one of my best friends. And here he is, everybody, Ian Eppard. Hey, I love you, man. I, I'm I'm glad to be on here. I, I'm glad to be on this podcast. And I did your last podcast a few months back what was that like december you were doing the one for your book yes yep you were on I, that i ended up quoting your book in uh in a sermon shortly after that and then lending your book to somebody else um awesome it, it was the uh the story about the letter that your dad wrote to you mm. and uh there was a an old man who uh, yeah he, he's an elderly man probably in his 70s or 80s who's been through a handful of divorces and Dang. he came up to me in tears afterward, and he said, "You need to get me a copy of that letter that you were talking about." Wow! And I said, "I'll do you one better. I'll give you the book." And uh, he read it and was really moved by it. And um, wow, you didn't tell me that. Uh, I didn't. No, you were oh, saving well. it for this podcast when we were going to do it eventually. <laughs> so, so shameless plug for for your podcast right. host, everybody. <laughs> get Josiah's book, Authentic You, and read it. All right. Awesome. So what's going on? Makes, you moved. It makes old men cry. Right, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I say you you moved away from me. You're down in the the North Carolina, above the South one, and yeah, uh, now Carolina. you are at a new church, um, Anglican Church, called uh, what's the name again? All Saints. All, All Saints, Saints Anglican Church, located in Moorhead City. I am the assistant pastor there. Um, awesome. And. I'm loving it, man. I, I love it. I, I've been uh, Anglican-ish most mm. of my life. Um, yeah. I, I, was, I grew up, I guess you would call it Anglo-Catholic, um, mm-hmm. the, the communion that I came from. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Orthodox Anglican expression right now is uh, kind of found within, um, well, in North America, it's the Anglican Church in North America. And, uh, Globally, it's what they would call GAFCON, um, mm-hmm. which is the Global Anglican Future Conference. And that's basically just a group of um, the majority of Anglicans throughout the world who who said, you know, we're not going to reject the authority of Scripture. You know, we're going to um, we're going to stick with what the word of God says and what the church has always taught, because that's awesome. unfortunately, um, the Anglican church throughout the world and this is you know, not. Uh, this is kind of a bunny trail here, but Anglican Church throughout the world has gone down some pretty um, some some pretty nasty places, you know, getting into the weeds and uh, moving mm-hmm. away from the authority of Scripture. So I'm I'm glad to be in a place that's upholding orthodox um, orthodox Anglican teaching, and um, love the church that I'm in. And also, as much as I hate being away from Rochester. And away from you and yeah. so many of the people up there, it's pretty sweet being down here on the coast. I'm, I'm not sure. gonna lie. I'm sure. Um, although there's a lot of like, there's a lot of things down here that can hurt you, like <laughs> fire ants and poisonous snakes and poisonous spiders and mosquitoes and alligators and oh boy, um, sharks. You're and really there's, there's a lot of ways to die down here. What's that? If there's like 900 ways to die in New York, there's a thousand ways to die in North Carolina. There probably are. There, there really probably are. You can freeze to death in New York, but um, that's about it. <laughs> um. So <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, dive into just you know everything. You know we've ha- you know it's a little backstory on Ian and I here. Yeah, we both ended up at the same school together. And then I thought Ian was weird because of what he did and his how he did church. And I was like, that's not how you do church. 
And now I'm like, maybe there's something to this um, church that Ian went to. Um, you, and it wasn't Anglican at the time. It was um, the CEC, right? Did I say that right? There's Charismatic Episcopal Church, which is kind of Anglican. Um, yeah, yeah, basically. What we call um, continuing Anglican. So but anyways. So explain um, the difference between like high church or lofty. Um, no, high church versus uh, you know, is it low church or high church? Like, yeah, like because you're you're more high church, and not all Anglican churches are high church, right? Yeah. Well, right now, I mean, where where I am right now is actually what I would consider a pretty low church setting. Um, so the cool thing about Anglicanism, one of the cool things is that you know there really is a spectrum and um you know the, the it can go anywhere from a very low church setting which would look um not too different than a non-denominational evangelical church um mm. it might be a little bit more eucharistic um there might be a little bit more liturgy to it but uh, in a low church setting it's it's pretty yeah, it's it's pretty plain Jane, you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. um what you might be used to. Um right. maybe a little bit more than but then then you can get into what's called broad church, which is kind of a a mixing of the two, high church and low church, and high church being like um you know how how do I relate that? Um probably a lot of people watched the coronation, you know, yeah. a couple of weeks ago that you know, that whole thing at Westminster Abbey. Uh that would be like high, high, high church, and you, you'll have all kinds of vestments and robes and um, all kinds candles. of candles and mm. and uh, maybe incense, maybe bells, um, yeah. you know, whistles, big processions, bells, <laughs> whistles, all that. Um, and the cool thing is, and I, I like none of them are wrong. That, that's that's the great thing about it is that uh, you can do it either way and it's fine. And everything right. has has meaning to it. I mean, when when you see, I, mean, I remember um, freshman year when we were in college, uh, we went to Applebee's. A group of us from <laughs> Elam Bible Institute went to Applebee's one night, and you know, Applebee's always has like the um, the pictures, like local pictures, all over the walls, and they get stuff from all over the town where they're located and stuff. Yeah. And there was one picture on the wall of like you know, a priest and a deacon and like some people from some local church that was probably Catholic or Episcopal or something like that. And uh, the priests are wearing their, their robes and their stoles and mm-hmm. everything. And uh, I'm standing with, uh, with somebody who's another freshman. And uh, he's like, what is this? Like, this looks so religious. It's just <laughs> very religious stuff. And I'm like, Oh no, like, let me explain it to you. And, and, you know, that robe comes from revelation where it talks about, you know, the saints being clothed in white robes of righteousness. And that stole represents, you know, the, the, the yoke of Christ or, or, um, you know, that deacon stole represents the, the towel that Jesus used to wash the, the disciples feet. And mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's meaning to all of it. And there's, um, a way to communicate the gospel in all of it. And, mm. you know, when you look at, you know, the early church, when you look at you know the early church into the Middle Ages, you had a lot of people who were illiterate, and um, a lot of people who didn't have access to the Bible. Yeah, and um, you know they're they're trying to learn this stuff, and you know they're meeting for the weekly gathering, whether it was early early on in the in the catacombs or later on, you know after Constantine, they start you know, having the freedom to build their own churches or they're meeting in people's houses or whatever. Um, They're meeting together and, you know, the apostles and the presbyters are are reading these letters from the apostles and um, they're they're reading these gospels that would come out and um, it's all kind of new and fresh, but that's where you got to go to hear it. Yeah. And um, I think about like, you know, right now the chosen is really popular. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know you can kind of engage with what scripture is saying and kind of watch it playing out in front of you, and that's what it all was in, in the beginning. All the the signs and symbols was okay. You can't take this home and read it for yourself. So we're going to show you. You know, wow. we're going to show you what's happening um, in the heavenlies right now. We're going to show you what's happening around the banquet table of the Lamb. Um, wow. 
and you know, the meal that they're they're sharing in heaven right now that we're all invited to in real time at this moment. Wow. So that when we when we're coming to this table, we're not doing it lightly. We're not um, we're not taking it for granted. We're not you know here to to be gluttons or to get drunk, but uh, right. we're entering into a heavenly celebration and um, partaking mystically with all of the company of heaven. So. Uh, so there was all these signs and symbols and and things to communicate these messages and different things to mean you know, different aspects of the gospel, things to uh, communicate, you know, the dual natures of Christ. You, know, you might see things in in twos. You might see the color white to represent purity. You might see the color red to represent uh, the Holy Spirit, um, mm. gifts of the Holy Spirit. And sorry, just killed a bug. I'm outside <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's where you, you kind of find the, the start of this stuff is, yeah. um, and the sad thing about it is that, um, you know, like with anything, it can become religion, you know, it can mm. become like, why do we do this? Well, we do it because we do it. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and there might be people who are going to, you know, liturgical sacramental churches, um, who have no idea why they're doing the stuff that they're doing, but they'll defend that thing until they're blue in the face. Um, and they'll say, this is the right way to do church, but they'll have no idea why. And to that person, I'd say, you know, shame on that pastor for not communicating why it is that we're doing these things. Yeah. And shame on that Christian for not asking why. Mm. Um but I mean, obviously it goes back to the pastor, but, um, you know, this is all teachable stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's, it's like, it's so cool. Cause like, even now, like, I'm just, you know, you're teaching me some things like it's like literally wearing Christ on your sleeve. Like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. back when the priests in, um, you know, in the Jewish time, they had like their garments that everything meant mm-hmm. something, you know, the, the yep. one string meant something, uh, the, 12 jewels met the 12 tribes like the yep. you know those different things were a part of the custom and the tradition and people knew that so when they looked upon them they they knew instantly either that's a priest or um what it all represents and it was it was a custom but plus plus it was just a um reminder of what you know what was and what is and what's to come yeah and and it's cool that you mentioned you know temple worship and and you know the old testament and judaism because uh, i think that sometimes we in 21st century western christianity we forget that that's where we came from mm-hmm. and so when you when you look at um you know the early chapters of the new testament uh when the church was just forming and you know people are coming to christ mm-hmm. and their numbers are are growing daily and stuff they're in the temple yeah they're going to the temple and they're um they're christians who believe that christ is the messiah but they're engaging in temple worship yeah. and so you know temple worship was liturgical mm-hmm. it, it was it was you know prayers that they had learned from the time that they were young it was um you know things that that the congregation the ecclesia would uh would engage in yeah and uh, it was a communal work, and I don't know where we got away from that or where where we lost that in history. Um, right. I mean, I could probably point well, to a few places, but even the Lord's um, prayer was was, you know, our Father who art in heaven, how to be thy name. Like it was already a prayer that was done, but Christ personalized it, so they they were familiar with that type of prayer, and every priest had or a, a teacher a rabbi in that time had a prayer that you know their followers or disciples their apprentices would um quote and when they you know ask hey how should we pray how you know mm-hmm. these pre these rabbis teach this prayer and like how should we pray and yeah christ jesus personalized it our father and yep. then that was something we we quote we should quote every day yeah and um because jesus did it the disciples yeah. did it. And if we're going to be following actual scripture, like it's liturgical. Yeah. It's repetitive. It, it is. And, you know, 
liturgy is, um, I mean, the word liturgy means the work of the people. Mm. It, it's it's the people working together, and it's it's a work of worship, and um, that's really important because, you know, if it's not the work of the people, then it can really become, um, you know, worship can become the work of a person, mm-hmm. and we've seen this so much, especially yeah. in recent years. You know, this celebrity Christianity where it all centers around a personality on a stage and mm-hmm. you, know, you show up, you're, you listen to the the worship, you worship along, you might have a really good emotional experience with it. Um, the, the, the pastor is charismatic and, um, and preaches a really good sermon and is charming and, and all that stuff. And all you did was show up and yeah. then you leave. Yep. Whereas, you know, we're all, we're a body. So when we worship, we're called to engage in worship together. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might have somebody who's kind of facilitating that or kind of leading the charge. Um, but ultimately, it's the work of everybody coming together as the family of God who have all been called and all been saved by the same God into the same family. Yeah. Participating in worship together. And um, so it, it, it's. It's just an important thing, and uh, it's something that you know, I think a lot of people can look at liturgy and just think, you know, back to you know that that comment that I made about uh, our friend back at Elam who looked at the picture and said, "Oh, that's just so religious." They they can look at it and say, you know, "Oh, that's just religion. That's just repetition. That's mm. that's vain repetition." And Jesus says, you know, avoid vain repetitions. Um, but the fact that he says that doesn't mean that all repetition is vain, right? You know? repetition can be really productive i mean you think about like you know you go to the gym you know and you do reps yeah right those reps aren't pain yeah you you, you're doing this repetitive action and that builds something in you yeah and so it's like somebody who is going to a liturgical church is going to be familiar with more scripture Mm -hmm. and uh, they're they're going to know more of the Bible by heart because yeah. they've said it again and again and again. And so yeah. they'll have these things that are ingrained in their hearts that will be tools for them that they yeah. can they can whip out and use. I heard this this great um, story. Um, one of our one of our priests was teaching at a class I was at recently, and uh, he was talking about a guy who was newly saved, just you know brand new. To the faith and uh, he met with this priest and he says you know, father dan um you know sometimes i just don't know how to pray i don't know what to say and like mm. you know i might be in a situation where i've sinned and you know if i just say you know i'm sorry it just it just doesn't feel like enough like, what can i what do i say when i want to repent and uh father dan says how about you say something like this um just shooting off the cuff here most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Hmm. And the guy says, wow, did you just come up with that? <laughs> that's a prayer that we pray every week. Right. And that's a prayer that I use every day. Yeah. Because wow. I need to continuously return to the Lord. And sometimes I've screwed up so egregiously and I've sinned so egregiously. Mm. And I've offended God so badly. And I just don't have the words to say. And I might have a prayer like that, that, that pretty well covers it. Yeah. But just because I've repeated it yeah. doesn't mean that it's vain. Right. It's actually powerful. Well, you know, you think, you know, people use that excuse all the time. Like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not religious, I have a relationship. And it's almost like a cop out to um not putting in the work, not putting in mm-hmm. your daily prayer and devotion only. Like, oh, I have a relationship with God. We're cool. Like, you know, and it's like if anybody's actually been in a relationship, they know it's work. Religion mm-hmm. is easy. It's rule following. It's you do this, you do this, and you it's a check checklist. The relationship is repetitive it's waking up every day it's it's doing the right things it's 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 um living life with the person you're in relationship with you know it was a you know wife girlfriend boyfriend uh you know 
whoever it is, your workplace, whoever you're in relationship with, it is work to keep and maintain relationship. And, and, but religion is, is easy. And so like when people throw that around, like, Oh yeah, I'm in a, I, you know, I, I'm not religious. It's a, it's a relationship. It's like, cool. That sounds good, but it's not like it's, it's, it is repetitive. You need to, uh, have that in you. You need to, you know, take the time to, uh, really invest into it. And I think that yeah. that's something, uh, the higher churches or, you know, Anglican, the liturgical churches have gotten down where your, uh, broader churches are, you know, like you said, you come, you check off the box. I went to church on Sunday. I may go to a small group and then, uh, we're good, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and, and that's not work. That's just playing the religious game. Yep. Yep. And the other thing about that, you know, that whole, I, I just have a relationship. Um, you know, I'm not religious, but what, you know, what you just said, yes. And amen to that. But also a lot of times that perspective really neglects the need for the body. Yeah. And you know, it, it kind of says, well, I've got a relationship with Jesus. And so he's going to um, he's going to guide me in my understanding of, of the word. And I can read the word when I want to. And uh, and I'll understand it and mm. I will um, and I can interpret it. And you know, as if, you know, biblical interpretation isn't something that hmm. people labor over and debate over and is kind of a big deal Um, it kind of it kind of just looks at the whole body and says no i'm good i don't need you which is uh, i think there's a whole chapter of scripture in corinthians about that you know about yeah the hand saying to the foot that you know i'm good yo um what's the the ian translation um (laughs) but like we need each other we we need body we need other people who are alongside us praying we need the people who have gone before us we need the you know brilliant people who have gone before us and have you know taken huge strides to discover god and to reveal him in the earth um or to allow him to reveal himself i should say in the earth to his church um but you know the other thing is um you know with a church like that. And, you know, I, I really like, I, I want to walk a kind of a fine line here because there are always churches that get things right and all these churches that get things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't dare to say that uh, my church comes close to getting everything right. Um, I, I don't think that at all, but you know, God is saving the entire person, right? Yeah. Like it's Gnosticism to say that, you know, um, the flesh is pure evil and, you know, we need to have a spiritual experience with God and we need to have an encounter with God that's, that engages our emotions. And um, I mean, God's saving the whole thing. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to have resurrected bodies at the consummation of the age and, uh, and they'll be perfect, but they'll be physical human bodies. And God is saving the entire thing. Jesus is saving the entire thing. So when we worship, we don't just worship with our our hearts. We don't just worship with our emotions. You know, we don't just encounter God through our emotions. And for so many people, even for me at times, it's been like the expectation has been that if I don't have a emotional encounter with God, then I haven't met God. Yeah. It's like, you know, we need to press in so that God will show up. Lord, would you just show up here? Holy spirit come as if he's not omnipresent. Um, you know, and, and we, we, we almost manipulate ourselves sometimes mm. into having an emotional experience and then feel bad. Like we did something wrong if we didn't have that emotional experience. Wow. But that's why God gives us sacraments. because sacraments show us and i'll talk a a little bit about what a sacrament is but um sacraments show us that god continues to come out and distribute his grace to us whether or not we feel like it that's good whether or not we're in the mood whether or not we're feeling emotional whether or not we get goosebumps or we cry or 
we um, fall to our knees or mm. whatever. Um, we have promises in scripture that, you know, when somebody is lowered into the waters of baptism, something happens, something yeah. that is um, regenerative, something that cleanses from sin, something where, where God shows up and does the work. Um, when we receive the Eucharist, no matter how we feel, Jesus shows up and his body is truly present and his blood is truly present. Mm. And we unite ourselves to him. He unites himself to us. We partake in something that's happen, happening in the heavenly realm, something that we look forward to in the age to come. We're participating in all of that and it doesn't matter how we feel. Right. Um, and absolutely, like, I'm a charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I love the emotional experiences that we have. Um, I, I love the emotional experiences that I've had in my life, the, the authentic ones. Mm -hmm. And there, there have been authentic ones and there have been ones that aren't authentic, ones where <laughs> I've been doing, you know, just what I, what I just said, like, oh, try to, try to have a spiritual moment, cry, feel good release of endorphins mm -hmm. um been there done that you know oh yeah um but there's something about the changelessness of god you know that even though i'm changing all the time i'm changing second to second you know i'll be a different person by the end of this conversation than i was when i clicked you know join the the, the zoom call right like we are always changing but we come into the presence of God, we come into worship, we come into the liturgy, and we experience something that doesn't change. Mm. We experience the changelessness of God meeting us in the midst of our, our constant change. Wow. And the older I get, the more I realize I need that consistency. Yeah. I need it. I, I, I need to know that God isn't changing, that God isn't going anywhere that he is going to continue to be true to his word, that his body and blood are going to be present in that bread and that wine. And yeah. that whether or not I feel him, whether or not I experience him, whether or not I have an emotional response to it, and I have had incredible emotional responses to the Eucharist, he's going to be there, whether I feel yeah. it or not. Um, he, he's, he engages us on a physical level. He's saving the entire body. So, you know, it's not just that we have to have an emotional response to him. We can literally encounter God in our taste. Yeah. You know, we can we can encounter God in the smell of incense or um, which is a symbol of um, of worship and of prayer. And you see it in, in Revelation, the, uh, the prayers of the saints in, in yeah. golden bowls of incense. Uh, you see it in Malachi. Uh, what is it? One verse 11, you know, continually incense is offered to your name um, and a pure offering for your name's sake, because your name will be great among the nations. I mean, these things where we encounter worship that's happening around the clock right now, every single moment in heaven. Yeah. Um, we enter into that and God gives us these physical things mm. and engages our own creativity so that we can engage with him and encounter him in these things so we taste him we, we we touch him we smell him we hear him um and on top of all of that we we do get that emotional response and that's yeah. good um but like you know the eucharist i mean that's that's considered the the great sacrament the blessed sacrament and you know sacrament the you know traditional definition of it is um an outward visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. So it's a, an outward sign that is making present something that's really happening in the spiritual realm. Um, and there's, there's so much good stuff to read on, on that. Um, but, you know, we're seeing things, we're seeing physical things, bread, wine, water, um, oil, um, yeah. you know, any number of things, but God's, doing something through those those things through the created order through the world and the things in the world that he created and he said 
it's really, really good. Yeah. You know, um, I was, t- well, b- before we, we started the call, I, I was telling you, uh, I would share some stories about the Eucharist and I have three in particular, um, just about encountering God in the Eucharist. The first thing was the, uh, maybe I shared this on our last interview. I don't remember, but, um, you know, the thing that kept me in a sacramental worldview when I was getting ready to give up on it, um, freshman in college, Bible college, really heavily influenced at that point by uh, Reformed theology and um, just just this idea, you know, this church that I was going to was very much like everything is about grace and you don't need anything but me and Mm -hmm. Jesus. And and I was really starting to lean towards that. And I went to a, a convocation for the Charismatic Episcopal Church in Spain, in Madrid, and it was a very monumental week of my life, but uh, I remember Bishop Chuck Jones from Alabama was up there, and he was preaching on um, sacraments on the Eucharist, and he said, you know, I'm never closer to Jesus than when I'm with the poor and when I receive the Eucharist. Wow. And I thought, wow, that is really cool, because I've been with the poor. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time with the poor. I love homeless ministry and i love ministering to drug addicts and um i just i love those people and i see jesus in them in orphans and widows and um you know all these places that i've been that i've ministered to the poor i just i just love them i go into nursing homes and you know old folks with who are dying and have nobody around them i see jesus in them and that's great but then also the Eucharist, this place where Jesus promises he's going to be. Um, so that that one line in his sermon has just stuck with me all these years, and it drew me back into sacramental theology and sacramental understandings of God. Um, so then in about 2016 or 17, um, I had just recently moved to to Rochester, started going to Trinity Communion Church up there. And, um, you know, I operate in the charismatic a lot. You know, I believe in the prophetic a lot. You know, I believe mm-hmm. that God speaks to us and uh, that he speaks directly to us and that uh, he gives us prophecy for edification and for the edification of the body. Um, he absolutely does that. So we're, we're there and I'm sitting in in the front row and um you know they're they're going through the eucharist and i'm just having a super charismatic emotional response to the presence of god and in, in the celebration of the eucharist and everything and i'm on my knees just weeping at the presence of god it was just it was just thick that day wow. and um and I'm, I'm weeping on the floor as they're going through the eucharistic prayers and then i you know, people are lining up to come get communion and I get up from the floor and I wipe the tears from my eyes and in just the most distinctive and clear way in the spirit, uh, I look up and you know the, the priest and the deacon have moved in front of the altar and people are lining up to receive and behind on the altar, behind the priest and the deacon on the altar, Jesus is just sitting there. Wow. He's he's just sitting there and he's got kind of his arms crossed and he's kind of kicking his legs. His legs are kind of dangling off the altar and he's just got this little smirk on his uh-huh. face. And it's like it's like he's saying, look what I've done. All of your sins have been paid for. Wow. Yeah, the sacrifice that I made for you on the cross was completely sufficient. You are completely free. You wow. are completely reconciled to the Father. You are you you are completely holy in the eyes of the Father because of what I did and what this this sacrifice has accomplished for you. And um I mean it, it was it was such a clear picture of Jesus and the joy that he has and the love that he has for his people and um it was almost like he was showing off, you know, like it, it, it was very cool. Um, and so it, that was just one of those moments when I knew like, okay, this is real. Yeah. Like this presence of Jesus and the grace that is communicated 
to me through the Eucharist is real. Um, and then one more, one more story on that note. I know I'm, I'm kind of carrying around and carrying along here, but I uh, I get really excited about this. Yeah, um, it's fine. Just recently, I, I heard a priest tell a story, and I was not there for this. This is not my story. Um, uh, Father Ben Sharp is um, the canon missioner for um, our diocese up in West Virginia, and uh, plant, he's planted a lot of churches. Um, awesome man I, I really enjoyed getting to know him but uh he, he shared the story about a church service where there was a little girl and she was sitting by a window and she was playing with a uh a little my little pony toy mm-hmm. and it's you know you know what they look like yeah um it's got the, the, the little pony feet and everything and um probably like a, a little more than a toddler I, I think he described her as being like three or four years old and um and you know she's sitting there and somebody goes up and says hey move away from the window you you could fall out you could hurt yourself she looks up or like resists and she falls out the window wow and she falls on out of this two-story window onto the my little pony thing and the my little pony punctures a, a hole in her skull and she is seriously injured and people are praying and um and I'll see if I can get the story right. I don't. I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't want to not do it justice here. But um, so she ends up seeing Jesus as she's, you know, in this state of dying, and right. um, and Jesus says to this little girl, um, "You need to go back. Your mom can't lose another child." Mm. And this girl's like three, four years old no idea that her mom had miscarried and um at that moment her mom was down there praying lord please i can't lose another child i can't lose another child and so one of the um you know kind of arguments in the sacramental world is whether or not little kids should be allowed to receive communion because they can't really understand it and um so this little girl she recovers and you know she's totally healed, totally fine. Goes up for communion, and the priest doesn't know, you know, what the deal is, and says that she can't have communion. And um, this is, you know, a couple of years later, and uh, and the girl says that priest was keeping me from Jesus. Wow, he was keeping me from Jesus. Uh, I've met Jesus. Like he was keeping. So she understood. That when she went up to receive that bread, she was receiving Jesus because she had met him and she could see him in the Eucharist. Yeah. And um, and it's like, come on. I mean, like, it, it doesn't get any more clear than that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that, that story won't work for some people. But for me, it's like, oh, my goodness, Lord, after all I've been through and all the times that I've encountered him mm-hmm. in the breaking of the bread. And, you know, which, by the way, that's the road to Emmaus story. I mean, Oh yeah, you know, Jesus. Jesus walks with these guys. Yep, he's revealed in the breaking of the bread. They have no idea who this guy is. Oh, this is a pretty smart dude. What's up with this guy? Then he breaks the bread, and they see him. Jesus is revealed in the breaking of the bread. Um, the little girl saw him. You know, I saw right. him that day on my face at at Trinity Communion Church. Um, he's there. He's in it. What I love about the road to Emmaus is they once they saw him and he vanished they mm-hmm. they had a discussion like were were hearts not burning as we were yeah. walking along with him and it's like you can walk into a church you can walk into a place where you know and jesus is with you he's walking with you he's you know he's doing life with you you can heart can burn but then the revealing and him showing up you know you can mm-hmm. be in a room if you ever been to a party or mm-hmm. like you go to wegman's right Let's say you go to Wegmans or sorry, that's a grocery store in Rochester for any, and anybody that doesn't know that listens to this. Yes, uh, if you go to a grocery store or any kind of place like that, you walk in. Um, I'll give an example. I was just at the PGA. I was just, I was just uh, at the golf tournament this past week. And I had, there's tons, thousands and thousands of people there. And I had no idea how many people 
uh, I knew that I actually were going to be there until, you know, I was walking, I was walking around, um, around one of the whole, whole six. And I look, and then all of a sudden I hear my name, Josiah. And I like, look up and I see like one of my friends, uh, Johnny. And, uh, I was just like, Oh, there you guys are. And, uh, I, I knew that they were going to be there, but I didn't see them until they called my name until, you know, I, I would never know. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're in a place and you know, that God's there. You're walking to church, you know, that God's there. God's, but until he's like, Hey, you know, reveals himself or he's like, Hey God, reveal yourself. Like you may mm-hmm. not realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many places that he wants to reveal himself. Absolutely. Like, Doesn't have to be in church. That's, that's the cool thing about uh, this relationship that we have with him is that he really does all the work. I mean, that that's grace is that it really doesn't depend a lot on me. You know, yeah, I show up, I say yes. Um, but, you know, that yes is is just me deciding that I'm going to stop trying to do it for myself and just receive what he has for me. Yeah. So like you, you look at something like like baptism, you know, which is the sacrament where we are cleansed of original sin and we are initiated into the body of Christ and and people you know say things like oh well a baby can't receive that it's like well neither can you yeah you know i i mean really like you you really think that you chose him you really think that you did the work you really think that you know that you saved yourself like that mm. that, that you cleansed yourself from your do you think that you had anything to do with that you didn't it was right. him it was yeah. it was his work it was his action it was his initiative and we had nothing to do with it yeah which is just amazing when when you think about it. i mean like you look at you know the covenant that uh he made with uh was it with abraham he puts abraham to sleep hmm. you know as if to say i'm keeping both sides of this covenant Right. You know, I, I'm doing this. And and in the same way, you know, he continues to do it. He continues to do the part that should be our part, but we can't possibly do it because we're so screwed up. We're so yeah. sinful. Yeah. We're, we're, we're so fallen and we, we're so alienated in our minds and we're so hostile. And he just comes up and gives us a big hug and and says it's okay i've got you i've got you and i'm gonna cleanse you and you don't have to try to do it for yourself and i just love that about him you know yeah i i love that about him because it is a constant reminder that he's not going anywhere i mean back to what i said earlier about the changelessness of god you know the fact that i screwed up the fact that i you know screamed at my kids or, you know, told a lie or, or, you know, went 90 in a, in a 35 or, you know, whatever it was. It doesn't change the fact that he's coming for me, that he's mm. constantly coming to my rescue that he's constantly pulling me up out of the mud. And it would be my hope. And I think it's been true that as he's done that day after day, year after year, and as I've, you know, given him permission to do that uh, more and more, he's changed me to become a better person, but uh, he's done it. It's yeah. all him. It's, yeah. it's all him and his saving initiative and his uh, engaging with humankind. And he engages through the world. He, he engages through the created order because it's all his. Yeah. Um, just last week, um, when was it? I think it was last Tuesday. Uh, you know, I came out here outside. I think it was like eleven o'clock at night, and I was just taking the trash out, and um, and, and I put the trash in the in the trash can, and I just stopped for a second, and we get really beautiful stars down here. And, you know, beautiful night sky. And um, I'm just standing there. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, God, you are so big. You are Mm. so infinite. 
you are so great you know everything that's out there you know its name you know how many stars are out there in the sky you know everything about it you know the the chemical workings of every one of those stars and you know all the all, all the science that i could never even attempt to get my brain around yeah you just know it all and yet somehow you're here with me mm. and yet somehow you you care about my life how why and uh all of a sudden it was like the, the wind just picked up it was just like wind from every direction and uh yeah it's this cool thing we got these tall pine trees here and uh you can just hear this wind you know rustling the pine trees from all directions and uh it was like the sense like oh that's you like you're the one who controls the wind and the waves like you're the one who who gets to tell the weather what to do you're the one who um who's making this whole thing work and then that brought me to um I think it's Hebrews chapter one, where it says that he upholds everything by the word of his power. And it's like, oh, how are you engaged in my life? You're literally holding everything together, everything in the universe. Yeah. You're holding together right now. And, and if I can't look around and see that and see you moving in, in the world, in the physical things, I mean, this goes back to uh, to Romans too. Um, you know, his his invisible nature is clearly known. Um, if I can't see it, man, then I'm blind. Mm. If I can't see that he's constantly engaging in my life and in the world around me, and in every aspect of the place that I live and my day to day, I'm just blind. Yeah, I love. Uh... Reminded me of Psalm 8, uh, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. You to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand and put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whoever passes along these paths and seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Mm. And we Anglicans at the end of that would say, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end amen amen <laughs> that's awesome. good yeah awesome well I, think I would um i would just encourage anybody who who's you know interested in any of this stuff or you know curious about any of this liturgical stuff um that i've talked about or you know engaging with god on these levels um couple books that have been meaningful to me lately in all of this um liturgical theology by simon chan has been really fun for me and uh interesting and fascinating and um for the life of the world by Alexa alexander schmemann uh, an orthodox theologian just excellent and um also the the 2019 edition of the book of common prayer that was um that was created by the Anglican Church in North America. Um, there's a PDF copy of that online. And there's mm. just so much good stuff in there. I, I would just love for anybody who's a little bit curious about, you know, a sacramental worldview and engaging with God in, you know, physical, you know, five senses kind of ways to check out some of this stuff and just think about it. Um, and, you know, if there's anybody who's really curious about that kind of thing, I'd love to talk to them. Um, I'm at Ian at all saints live. Send me an email and we can, we can chat about it. But um, I think this stuff is so important. I think it's so important that we 
find God in more places than our emotions. And the reason that this is so important to me right now, and I'll, I'll just close with this. I know we're, we're coming to a, the end here, but if, if I can just say this, um, I've seen so many people who have gone through this quote unquote deconstruction of their faith, which I think can be really helpful and really good. Um, in as much as it leads you back to Jesus. But I've seen so many of these people and I've realized that their faith was never constructed to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It was built on nothing. So, you know, when the big bad wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs, the house just, just blows right down because it was built out of nothing. It was built on, it was built on, you know, good sermons, you know, entertaining sermons, uh, banger worship and emotional experiences. And God wants to engage with his people in Mm. so many more areas than that. And God is saving so much more than that right now. So there's a lot of God to discover. There's there's so much of God to discover and it's an adventure with him every day. And it's, it's, it's a mystery every day and it's, fun it's fun when we can have the humility to say god i just don't get it like yeah i look up at these stars in the sky and i hear this wind and i just don't get it but somehow you're here mm-hmm. i take this bread and this wine and i just don't get it and, and people have wrestled with these questions but he keeps on saving he just keeps on saving again and again and again and people ask me you know well, what, when were you saved? You know, what's your testimony? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when I was saved. Two thousand years ago. That I, was, I, I was saved the day that I was baptized. At a month old. I I was saved. You know, the day that I I gave my life to Jesus at an Acquire the Fire conference when Ron Luce was preaching in two thousand six. I was wow. saved. I fell down at the altar at uh, at at you know some youth meeting in in high school i was saved at elam i was saved last week i was saved this morning when i prayed the daily office like he just keeps doing it and he keeps engaging my entire person and it's fun that's awesome it's fun and it's exciting and he really loves me yeah and he never he never stops doing that so sorry i'm getting carried away but i get excited about jesus um yeah that's amazing yeah well, Ian, we'll have to have you on again, and we will have you on again for sure. Um, probably in season three of this podcast. But man, it's I I love you, man, and I'm excited to come down and visit this week. Uh, I'll you and see your you beautiful Saturday. family. Yeah, and maybe someday we'll actually do that podcast together that we talked about. We but could, we could. One, we'll we'll keep on dreaming about that. Yeah, one day. Anyways, one day. All right. Well. Sayonara. Sayonara, or as we Anglicans would say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>